I want to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're actually going to read a portion of 11 verses from there in just a moment. And uh, there is, as uh, usual, a Bible app event for this. So if you have your smartphone, you can hop onto that and follow along uh, there because a lot of the scripture that you'll need will be uh, at that place. You know, this is Independence Day weekend, the 4th of July, and um, we celebrate, catch that word, celebrate uh, our freedom on this day. Uh, a lot of times holidays kind of get lost, like what is Labor Day for again? I can't remember, but nobody forgets what the 4th of July is about. It's about uh, us rebelling against unjust taxation. It's about us um, not wanting to quarter British soldiers in our own property, uh, things like that, and just wanting to be free to rule ourselves. And so uh, to celebrate that yesterday, I think I probably had enough pork to last me for the next month. Uh, we had uh, spare ribs barbecued over real charcoal, and then I had a brat, and then I had a brat with bacon, and then I had a brat with some cheese inside it, and I had, I had a, lot of, a lot of good food yesterday. And you celebrated however it was. On the way home from Brookville, coming back to Kerbinsville, uh, Laurel had mentioned, man, I wish, I'm not going to get to see any fireworks. Wow, was she wrong? Uh, because since we can't gather together all in State College, maybe, or whatever, every, every Pennsylvania hillbilly had their own display going on in their backyard. And thank you, Pennsylvanians, because that was great to watch that on the way home. Celebration is an important part of being human. Jesus was a person who celebrated. Um, you know that his very first, very first miracle was to enhance a celebration. There's a wedding in Cana of Galilee. They run out of wine, and Jesus turns water into wine. Why? Because he was celebrating with these people, this union of this couple. We don't even know their names, but we know that Jesus celebrated. And we see as well Jesus celebrating the feasts. He would go to Jerusalem. You read in the Gospels on the third day of the feast or whatever, you know, this happens and that happens because Jesus is celebrating. He celebrates when victory happens. For example, Jesus sent out his disciples one time, and he sent them out to do ministry. And when they came back, they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus' response is, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Now, I want you to know, he didn't say that like this, like, I saw Satan falling like lightning. That wasn't the way he, he did it. He was celebrating. He was full of joy and celebrating. Today we're taking communion, and we call this a celebration of the Lord's death, which might sound kind of strange. We'll talk about that in a short time. You know, when they were having communion, as they were gathered together in that upper room, Jesus and his 12 followers, the the apostles, as they were gathered there together, they were celebrating Passover. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want you to look at Matthew 26, going to read 11 verses starting at verse 20 and we're going to see Jesus celebrating Passover with his disciples. Follow along as I read if you would. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, "Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me." They were very sad and began to say to him, one after another, "Surely you don't mean me, Lord." Jesus replied, "The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. 
Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is celebrating Passover with his disciples because celebration is a pattern in God's nature. We've been talking about patterns in God's nature. It is in God's nature to celebrate. In fact, when I think of the seven days of creation, on the seventh day he rested, I think part of that rest involved just celebration because he says, that was good. That was good, a good thing. And if you read the word of God, you see over and over again, celebration. For example, all the feasts that you read about, that Israel was required to engage in, they were required to have a party. They were required to celebrate. For example, the feast of the Passover was celebrating God's protection as they were preparing to leave Egypt. And the feast of unleavened bread, that's celebrating the actual Exodus itself. And the feast of first fruits, the feast of Pentecost, the feast of trumpets, the feast of atonement, the feast of tabernacles, all of these things were celebrating things that God had done in the past. It is God's pattern to celebrate and to invite us to participate in that celebration with him. Today, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Communion itself is a celebratory event. Now, from an outsider's perspective, the Last Supper doesn't look like something to celebrate. I mean, just think about what happened for a moment there. Jesus, again, at that Last Supper, he reminds them that he's about to suffer. You would read that in Luke 22 in verse 15. He says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Wow, way to be a wet blanket on this party, Jesus. This doesn't feel like much of a celebration if you're talking about suffering. And then in the midst of that, early on in that dinner that they're having together, that celebration dinner, a fight arises among them over who's the greatest. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. You think you had some bad in-laws at your 4th of July celebration? I don't know if they were arguing about who was the greatest. They might have been. If they were, that doesn't feel like much of a celebration, right? And even we read it here that Jesus tells them, one of you is going to betray me. How does that feel celebratory when he says, truly, one of you will betray me? To an outsider, This dinner doesn't feel like it's celebratory, but it is. It's a celebration because of what it is pointing to and what it is teaching them. It is teaching them that this bread of the Passover that they're going to be eating together is really representation of him, Jesus, who is the bread of life. And it represents his body that is going to be crucified for them so they can have life. He tells them that this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement, the new testament And it's poured out in his blood so that they can be forgiven for their sins, so they can be part of the kingdom, so they can have eternal life. And what he's telling them is that he is purchasing their freedom, freedom from fear of death, freedom from the grip of sin's power, freedom from the domain of Satan himself. And I'll tell you what, if someone tells you, I have freedom for you, I can free you from all your fears, your worst ones. And I can release you from the fear of sin. I mean, from the outcome of sin, from the effects of sin. And I can 
I can even promise you victory and give it to you now over Satan himself. That would be something to celebrate. That is a good thing. And so this celebration pattern is seen in the Feast of Israel. It's seen in communion, and it will be seen at the end of time, at the end of the age, in the wedding supper of the Lamb. You know, if you were paying attention, when we read verse 29, Jesus says this kind of odd sentence. At the time, it must have sounded odd. Because he says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And for you and me, that is a yet future event. That one day we will be at this event called the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the scripture says in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb because that will be a celebration you will not want to miss. I mean, if you think about it, communion in one respect looks forward to that. But I want to tell you, (laughs) this, see this thing right here? This, this is not what we're going to be eating up there, right? This is not what we're going to be drinking up there. The wedding supper of the Lamb is going to have great food, just as Passover had great food. The wedding supper of the Lamb will have great drink, just as, just as Passover had great drink. But the best part about it, the best part about the wedding supper of the Lamb will be Jesus. A, a verse that speaks of God's love for us and the way he sees those who trust in Christ collected together as a body of believers, what we call the church, the Bible calls that the church, it's the people, that, that God sees us as his bride. And in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, The Lord God is with you, a mighty warrior who saves. He will take delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine Jesus singing over you? I can remember when Laurel and I were dating, I was learning to play the guitar. And so I recorded some songs for her. I recorded uh, that Clapton song, you know, You Look Wonderful Tonight, right? On a cassette that, thank God, has been lost through the years, right? She received that, though, the way I intended it. As a beautiful offering and expression of my love for someone I care deeply about, that is what the groom does at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and that will be a celebration to end all celebrations. I can't wait for that moment. We will celebrate, and we do celebrate, what the king has done for us. He has given us freedom from death's tyranny. Freedom from fear of death. Fear of death, by the way, that's a real thing. Listen, as a pastor, I happen to find myself present at the time of death more often than I expected. Do you understand that sentence? I'm there. And and I just want to say, there's a difference. There's a difference. When you're there with someone whose faith is in Christ and they know Jesus had died for their sins and their home is in heaven, and when you're there with someone who has out and out rejected Jesus, there's a difference. There's a difference. That first person is free from death's tyranny. And whether one wants to admit it or not, um, without Christ's death on our behalf, freeing us, fear of death is a reality. 
I mean, just Google fear of death sometime and you'll find all kinds of articles in The Guardian, in Time Magazine, Huffington Post, in Psychology Today. And all of them have pointers on how you can overcome your fear of death. And some of them go so far out on a limb, they even say, check into some religion. Maybe that will help you. Wow. (laughs) None of them help. Because none of them give you the one who gives you freedom over death's tyranny, the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes that away. I am not afraid to die. I don't want to get sick. I'm a little bit of a wimp when I'm sick. Just ask Laurel about that, right? I'm kind of one of those high-maintenance sick persons. So I don't want to get sick, but I am not afraid of death. I'm not afraid about being dead. I don't have a death wish or anything, you understand? Though occasionally you might hear me say, stop the world, I want to get off, right? But I don't have a death wish. I'm not in a hurry to die. There are so many ways remaining before me to serve God here. I'm enjoying that. And there are people here that I just don't want to say even see a later to right now. So I don't have any kind of death wish, but I am not afraid of death because Jesus removed the tyranny of death in my life. And I celebrate that. I celebrate at communion freedom from, from sin's power in my life. You see, without Christ, sin has the power to destroy lives. Have you seen that? How many of you have seen, yeah, sin destroyed that person's life? Yeah. Don't you hate putting up your hand? I try not to ask you to do that often. But we do. We see over and over again. Marriage is destroyed. Vocations destroyed. Businesses destroyed. Lives destroyed. Churches destroyed. People destroyed. We see it all the time. And almost always it traces right back to sin. And really, without Christ, there's no hope when we do sin. And without Christ, there is no remedy for sin. But Christ and his death changes that. See, Christ's death takes the victory of sin and death, and it takes it away. It takes away the power of sin. In the resurrection chapter, this is 1 Corinthians 15, You read, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as those who love Jesus, we don't want to sin, but sometimes we do sin. And even when we do sin, sin still does not have the final victory to those of us who love Jesus. I say that because of things like what one of Jesus' closest friends, John the Apostle, wrote. He's writing a letter. He's an aged man now by the time he's writing this. It's in 1 John chapter 2. And he's writing to people that he loves like his own little children. In fact, he says to them in verse 1 of chapter 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. And so at communion, we come to this table and we celebrate the fact that sin does not have the dominion in our life that it once had, leading us to hopelessness and finally to condemnation because communion changes all of that. Jesus' death takes that condemnation so that we don't have to. We celebrate freedom from death's tyranny. We celebrate freedom from sin's power and we celebrate even freedom from Satan's domain. (laughs) 
You know, we live in a pretty dark world. A world that kind of seems to be under Satan's thumb. Do you understand what I mean by that figure of speech? I want to suggest to you that that's a lie. I want to suggest to you that that's kind of a scam. That Satan has all this power to destroy all of our lives. That's a lie. I was once talking to a manager who had some people under him at various locations throughout the state who were all behaving poorly. Not all of them, but many of them were behaving poorly. So that the business was kind of failing. The corporation was kind of failing. And he said, I just don't know what to do. And I said, can you do anything to make those employees at that location toe toe the line? Can you do anything to get them to behave the right way? To do what they're supposed to do as employees? Can you bring maybe some consequences to bear? And listen to what he said. He said, no, my boss has given me no authority whatsoever. And then he said this sentence, listen to it. He said, all I have is the power of bluff. I understand what he means by that. The only way he can implement any power in that person's lives, those people's lives, is to pretend that he has power and for them to believe that he has power that he doesn't really have. Imagine a a, a manager who has no power except to fake that he has power. He has no power except when he can convince people that he has power that he doesn't really have. That's Satan in the life of a Christian. He has power in this world, in this broken world. He has power in your life if you're not belonging to Jesus, and he exercises that power freely in your life. But his power for those who are believing in Christ is broken. Where do you get that, Pastor Steve? (laughs) From the Bible. (laughs) Colossians says it so well in chapter 2. Just listen as I read, starting in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now listen to verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that is Satan and his demons, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, over them by the cross. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that the only power Satan has in our lives is that which we give him. And that's a beautiful thing to celebrate in communion. So let's follow that celebratory kind of pattern that God gives us. I mean, I guess I would say to you that if you sense any fear in your life, if you're fearing death or fear, I had a guy say to me one time, I'm just really afraid after I die when I stand before the you know, the judgment seat of Christ. If you have that fear, I want you to release that fear. Talk to God about it. If you have fear about standing before the judgment seat of Christ, deal with that now by confessing whatever sin you're afraid is going to come up there. Because here it is. This is 1 John 1.9. I just said to someone this week, you should memorize 1 John 1.9 because it's a great verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What in the world do I have to fear? (laughs) Nothing. And so release that residual fear that maybe hangs around in your heart. And maybe make the philosophy of the Apostle Paul your own when it comes to death. We have this saying that we say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Did you hear that? If I'm away from the body, then I must be with the Lord. And and we get that from 2 Corinthians 5.8, which says, I say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
You don't have to be afraid. Release that residual fear. Tell God about it. Ask him to take it away. And second, if you want to celebrate communion and celebrate life in general, relish your freedom from sin. (coughs) Relish the reality that sin no longer has mastery in your life. It says that in Romans chapter 6, for sin shall not be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Sure, you sin, but if you're growing in your faith, you're growing in love. And as you grow in love, you will grow in obedience. And you will sin less. You will automatically grow in following Christ more closely as you love him more and more. You know, it doesn't matter how good a person I am. If it, isn't, if it wasn't for Christ, sin would hold elements of mastery in my life. Because without Christ, there is no remedy for sin. And I would have to pay the debt for sin myself. And the price is dear. It is my life. But Christ releases me from that bondage that sin brings toward death. Because he paid the price. And out of gratitude, I don't want to continue to sin. I, I'm dead to sin. Why would I want to live in it anymore? What I want you to hear in this subpoint, relish your freedom from sin, is this. Because of Jesus, sin cannot place a chain around your neck and drag you anywhere, neither toward its goal nor toward your condemnation. He has broken that chain. He has eliminated it. He has taken it away. Relish that. Celebrate that. When you hold this cup in your hand and this element in your hand, say, yeah, Jesus broke the chain. Jesus took that away. And third, resist the devil's lie. Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has the power of bluff and he is good at using it. But that phrase, and you've got to be really old to remember this phrase, the devil made me do it. <laughs> that phrase is a lie. The very word devil means Liar, accuser, slanderer. Jesus says that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. Why would you believe him? Believe Christ. Believe what has been shown you from Scripture right here. And celebrate. 